And welcome to the Two Saltitudes Podcast. I am Dwayne Rollins in freezing, freezing, freezing cold Toronto. Is it any warmer in Montreal, Kevin? No, I think it's as much freezing or maybe one or two more freezing on top of that. Freezing, freezing, freezing. Freezing, freezing. It's really cold here, guys. Uh, I guess the you know those that listen to us from outside of Canada can say, well, guys, you live in Canada. What do you expect? But we're spoiled yeah. in the big cities. We are a little bit. It's warmer here than it is his in the hinterland of Canada, Kevin. But uh, but we'll get it. We'll get through it. It'll be soccer time soon enough, and uh, we'll be out in the stadiums, uh, just uh, frustrated at the uh, the losing of the home team instead of the uh, freezing of the cold. Today it's a classic. Stay indoors. Don't even peek outside. Day for me. I'm off for the next couple of days, and I'm definitely staying in, uh, catching up on the world of soccer, but not even thinking of going outside. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of people that won't be outside in uh, in Canada anytime soon, we're going to update Jermaine Defoe uh, <laughs> in this podcast. Kyle Lauren as well probably won't be outside in Canada in the near future. We had an interview that we ran as an interview alone, along with some sound from a press conference in the U20s. Uh, those of uh, you that uh, that uh, subscribe to us on iTunes would have probably seen that interview by now, but we are going to uh, to rerun it for the benefit of those that, uh, that kind of get us just to, when we promote our shows like this. Um, we're going to talk a bit about the national team call-ups for Canada, the U20s right now. Going to look at why the NASL is getting no love by uh, by Benito Floro and maybe whether we should look at that. A little update on the women and uh, we'll set up our draft coverage. Kevin and I are going to try to do something a little bit different on draft day. We'll see if we can pull it off. Uh, if not, no harm, no foul. Right, Kevin? Exactly. All right. In the meantime, let's take a quick break. Come back. We'll talk uh, with Jermaine Defoe reluctantly. <laughs> Some things in life are bad They can really make you mad Other things just make you swear and curse And we're back (sighs) It's a bloody big annoyance, Kevin (laughs) Still not done, right? You're still uh, wondering what's going to happen with Jermaine Now he's going to train with Tottenham right now Until uh, his future is set Yeah, well... Look, I'll say this. They, they say sometimes you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, it's an old adage, right? Uh, I think TFC did learn a new trick in that they actually informed people that uh, Defoe would be training in Spurs because in the past what would have happened – there are people in this city, Kevin, that that suggest that this was TFC trying to quote, quote, spin things and make it sound better than it was. I don't think it was that. I think this is more of a case of TFC learning from what happened um, a few years ago when, when – uh, Dero was off training at Celtic and no one knew and then everyone lost their mind over that I'm going back quite a few years ago now when we talk about that story but uh, they needed to, to sort of let people know in case some photographs emerged of him training over there and people assumed that it had been sold or whatever so they let they let them know that he was just back at Spurs doing a little bit of training the reality is you know he is hanging around in England for the duration of the uh, of the transfer window they're hoping TFC is to get some kind of deal done uh, to get him, get rid of him, basically before, <laughs> uh, before uh, training camp opens, because that's um, you know the first sort of the training camp opens before the window closes. So if they haven't completely sold him yet, they're going to have to do uh, some running in place to try and uh, explain why he's not coming back, because he's not coming back. They're not going to bring him back to Toronto unless they have no choice, right? Yeah, unless Kevin, what happens is February first rolls around, he's still a member of Toronto FC. Oh, I, I can't see him coming back. If he comes back, he'll be the type of, you know, the dog coming back with a tail between his legs and be like, "Yeah, I'm sorry, I messed up. I was trying to get out of here, but I'm stuck here. So let's try to find a way to work together." But no, yeah, they can't do it. Yeah, it, look, is there a chance that Jermaine Defoe is going to come back? I would put it at 5%. There is a chance that they're not going to get a figure anywhere close to what they want and that they're going to be forced to bring him back. It would be a remarkable challenge if that were to happen. Um, this is No one outside of the least informed, least plugged in fan out there is going to believe that there's any possibility of that working. Um, I'm sure that there would be the odd person who probably doesn't listen to podcasts like this that's just not tuned in at all. Uh, that that might be able to buy into that, but by and large, they would everyone would be sort of gritting their teeth and and knowing that they were dealing with an, an unfortunate situation. They're going to do everything in their power uh, to sell this guy, Kevin. Um, it's it is remarkable when you think. Let's take a quick step back and just remember that, you know, it was less than a year ago that we're having the bloody the the bloody the double decker 
buses parked outside of real sports and the bloody big deal and and the you know why can't we be great uh, speeches by Lewicki like that was a year ago instead and of all, now why can't we be great it's more why can't we be friends well yeah and it's it all stems and there's another and I was listening to the TSN podcast uh, TSNFC podcast uh, the other day and they Lawson awesome Roman yeah Chris uh, and uh, Christian Jack yeah and I, I think it was Christian that said that. Uh, that uh, he read a quote from uh, Lewicki talking about how vital it was to not get your DPs wrong. That you can't <laughs> that you can't succeed in MLS without getting your DPs wrong. And look, it's it's easy to poke fun at TFC and go, ah, oh, TFC, everything they they touch turns to you know what. But I don't know if it was predictable that Defoe would be this bad of a disaster. I just don't know if it was. And if you're sitting there yelling at your podcast, oh, yes, it was, you're really just going, oh, that's so TFC, which lacks any sort of intellectual basis to it. It's just basically you know, suggesting that there's such a thing as bad luck or karma attached to, to TFC. It, it, it really doesn't, wasn't predictable that it would go this badly. Oh, remember after a couple of games he played, after he scored his first couple of goals, when he first has when he had his first double, people were happy and had hope for him. And were like, yeah, it's finally going to turn around. Look at it now. Yeah, and I'm sure that, look, it comes down to his, his character, really. It comes down to stuff that can't be measured, um, which is really, you know, and I'm a guy that likes the logical side of the game, that likes the logical side of sports, that likes to evaluate things through through numbers and through mm-hmm. pro- provable things, but you can't, you know. You quantify is, things you can't quantify, yeah. Yeah, this is an illustration of something you couldn't. You just didn't know how poorly his attitude would shift the second he didn't get that England call-up. And I truly believe that that was what it was, that he was convinced by someone, his agent, uh, that probably, (laughs) that if he came to MLS and put big numbers up, that he would get a look from England and get to go to the World Cup. And when that didn't happen, suddenly here he is in this foreign land playing for a... You know, TFC in the middle of the season wasn't bad, and they they weren't they're not pathetic like a lot of people like to put out. They they were kind of more, you know, mediocre is the way to describe what they were last year in a lot of ways, and far away, and maybe things weren't going the way he wanted, and uh, it, he wasn't getting the service, and he's not used to it, and he's suddenly not getting England call-ups, and it's just he he just sort of didn't care anymore. And didn't want to fight through it. And didn't want to get out there and represent it. He doesn't want to deal with the media. All these sort of things. But this is this has got to fall on the on the feet of Lewicki in a lot of ways. That he, he just was the, a sour grapes and everything after that TFC or soccer related he didn't like, right? Yeah, and like I said, it's it's got to be. You know, a lot of people like to blame TFC's past and all that, and a lot of people like to hold Lewicki up as some kind of savior. But this one falls on him a bit because it's if you can't. On the on the soft, you can quantify certain aspects of him, and you know what? He followed through on that. He scored the goals. But what you can't quantify is that attitude stuff, and that was up to Lewicki. It was up to the people that were in those rooms. Nelson too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bezbachenko was there. I think a lot of people like to discredit Bezbachenko for having had a part in bringing him here. So if, if you want to discredit him for having uh, a part in bringing him here, you can't then also blame him for the mistakes that happened. It's done now, so. You move on. Um, the question is, is how are they going to move on? And there's a lot of noise out there. We're hearing Leicester. We're hearing Sunderland. We've even heard Liverpool at one point. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, it's it's really hard to say. I was talking, Kevin. This is the the one little bit of new information, I suppose, that I can I can bring into the conversation. I was talking to um, to some UK sources uh, yesterday, and and what they're hearing on that side of things is that uh, is Sunderland, and this is not. There's other people reporting similar things, so that I don't want to oversell what I'm giving you here. But there are people that are suggesting that that Altador, that Sunderland is willing to sell Altador, but they're not desperate to sell Altador. And further to that, and to speak to that, what they're asking from TFC at this particular point is that not only a swap for Defoe, wow. but they but they actually want TFC to pay them a transfer fee on top of a swap for Defoe. So, so how much could it be for Altidore? Like more than ten million? Because that's what he they paid for Defoe, right? Close to ten million. Yeah, well, they'd be looking probably at something around ten million, I would think, because they're, Defoe basically is being valued around five million within the UK transfer market right now. I think there's there's a very little chance that TFC is going to get a transfer fee of of ten million plus directly for him. What they might get 
is a transfer that's structured in such a way that they may be able to eventually uh, get the ten million. Uh, what by that I mean that they would maybe get five million, six million up front, and then four million if they if the team that he sold to avoids uh, relegation, because that's really where he's going, right? He's going yeah. to one of those relegation teams to try and just get them a couple more goals to keep them up. Um, in terms of the Altidore stuff, look, I, I think we'll go into that in a little more detail, but but certainly. The idea that Toronto would not only give Defoe up basically back to Sunderland for free, but they would then also give Sunderland money on top. That's that's absurd. And that's yeah. gotta be a negotiating tactic that Toronto's, you know, I would hope that they won't would not be listening to. <laughs> I would hope so too. Um they For Toronto's they, sake. Yeah, and they haven't made the move, so that's give them a little bit of credit. They haven't haven't jumped on this just yet because we're not into desperate days. We talked about um how difficult it would be uh to uh to, to bring him back but uh, I would think that no matter how difficult it would be to bring him back that that, that type of move would uh, would not be worth it <laughs> to, to avoid that um, do I think that Defoe is going to get sold as I said I, I would put it at about 5% Kevin uh, 5% that he, that he stays or 5% that, that he sold that they stay so 90, <laughs> 95% that he sold um, they, they have said all along that they're not willing to engage in loan talk. I, I think that they would be willing to engage in loan talk if it gets to the to the final hours so long as the loan fee that they received back would be significant enough that it could be sold to the MLSC Board of Directors. Sure. Um, so we'll see on that front. That's, let's move it on to the Altador stuff a little bit here. I, I was surprised to hear Altador because you would think that it would go to a big U.S. team or some sort to be used as a drawing to get people to the stadium he's not really going to do that in Toronto well he's, he's not going to do that at all in Toronto Josie Altidore has about as much draw as you or I would <laughs> that's not a lot there's yeah. like five people <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah there might be a couple out there God help them but but uh, yeah the Josie Altidore is not at all a player within in this market um, I don't even think he's going to sell that many tickets in the U.S., to be honest with you. Uh, in terms of the guys that are big Josie Altidore fans are probably already MLS fans anyway, so I'm not sure sure he has a big cachet that way. But um, oh, I am so – I wrote an article on CSN where the title was Josie Altidore. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> and the, the general thesis of it was that I don't like the move, but I – recognize that I'm at least partially biased in that I don't really like him as a player and I'm not inclined as a Canadian. I'm not inclined to be in love with Josie Altidore and forgive him for the past two years because he's not a member of the Canadian national team. He's an American and I don't have an affinity for the U.S. national team. So why would I say, oh, it's Josie and remember this and Holland and blah, 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 because he's just a guy that scored like a goal in the last 18 months to me. And if you're to pay a guy that scored a goal in 18 months, well, they're talking about $6 million a year, DP contract plus whatever transfer it requires. It's an absurd deal from my perspective. It's crazy. And if they can get him as – like, look, would, would you take him as a straight one-for-one one trade for Defoe? Devalio was not even paid $2 million a year. It was I think 1.5 is first, and then he got a bit more than two. Something like this. They never disclosed the full amount, but that's close to it. Six million for an unproven guy, really? And Altador, can he be better than 20-something goals a year? I don't know. So it would be a lot of money per goal. Yeah. Like a lot. Oh. It's, it's a hell of a lot of money for goals in his terms of his current form. But we'll, uh, we'll see on that one. Um, uh, look, the other part of that is, though, he did score 15 goals in MLS before he left. He, that is what helped him gain the transfer. He has yeah, a it was a different MLS win back then though. It's not at the level that it is right now. Yeah, you could you can make that argument. And he, but he did also score in Holland quite a bit. Now that was a couple years ago. Yeah. He does have an MLS body for lack of a better way to put it. He yeah, is sort of inclined. Man. Yes, you're right. He's experienced at that level. So do I think that he would be a complete holy crap, that was a bust kind of signing? Well, <laughs> I think there's a possibility he might be that his form is just completely gone. Um, strikers are a funny bunch, and if they if they lose it, they lose it. Uh, the counter to that is that as much as he has struggled for for Sunderland for um, Hall when he was there briefly, he has uh, scored for the U.S. Uh, in a, in a different system. So you know, it's not completely impossible that he can come back and do something similar to what he did before he left. I just think that for the amount of money they're talking about, that they're just 
better options out there. There are less risky options out there. And the other part of it too, and this is this is a bit of a negative statement I'm going to make here that speaks negatively about the fan base in Toronto. I'm sorry, I mean, I'm putting myself within that in terms of our knee-jerk reaction um, to be negative because he's a U.S. national player and because not only don't we have an affinity for the U.S. national team, in many ways we don't care for them. Sorry, Americans. We would be inclined, I think, to be even more reactive if Josie Altidore struggles. It might make it even more difficult for Josie Altidore to to excel here in Toronto because of the negativity that I think would be just so closely beneath the surface from the get-go. People would be ready and willing and able and just aggressively excited about almost to jump onto the negative bandwagon as soon as the struggle started. So it's just in a lot of ways. I don't like the signing. I don't like the idea of the signing at all. And I have to be inclined to agree with you. Yeah. I have heard uh, as a last piece when I was talking to the UK uh, folks the other day that uh, that a lot of the drive behind this is and this isn't really that you could speculate on this pretty easily as well but a lot of the drive behind this signing comes from Michael Bradley and uh, the Bradleys are highly involved in from what I've been told in what TFC's actions what their their planning is right now for better or worse this is Michael Bradley's team in a lot of ways right now um, you know whether you like the idea of a player driving the driving the bus this much the not a double-decker bus, though. It's a, it's a solid old American bus that we're talking about right now. It's an old Ford. Yeah, Ford Tough. It's Chevy or something, yeah. Well, um, they want to try to get together more often on the pitch to create that type of uh, chemistry for the future of the U.S. team, US team too. So who knows? That might happen in Toronto. But like you said, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it will. Like I said, I don't – just because like I said, Josie Altador, who knows? I don't know. I have no idea. It's, it, it is the possibility that it could work. I just think there's a lot of risk out there and there are probably better signings. And more to the point, I mean, we'll end it on this. I, I think that the Toronto has bigger needs. They, they do. And, I, you know, yes, if they lose to Foe, that's a big chunk of goals that they are they're, – yeah, when they lose to Foe, yeah. that's a big chunk of goals that, the, that, that they, they're going to have to replace. And there's a lot of question marks up front. Can Gilberto turn around? He had seven goals last year, which actually, when you look at incoming strikers, was above average. Uh, so, you know, and there is a bit of a second-year bump sometimes with DP. So there's a lot of potential with Gilberto, but there's still question marks. Um, there's still even question mark whether he's even going to come back. But uh, right now, some of those, the rumors that reported on back in the fall, they seem to maybe be passing. So maybe we can hope that Gilberto is back. Um, we've got Dyke with his injury uh, issues. Uh, he's certainly a lot of potential. Rob talent there. Um, you know, there's just their question marks at the front, up front, but there's a lot of raw talent there too. Even Jordan Hamilton, whether he uh, can make an, an impact in there. A lot of people assume he's going to be at uh, Toronto uh, next year. I don't know. Uh, he might break into the first team. Uh, I could see Jordan Hamilton easily having a contribution in the, in the MLS level. I mean, it's, is he Dom Dwyer too? I don't know. That's hope if you're TFC fans that he could be. But uh, there is to me, enough potential in the forwards that they don't necessarily need to be aggressive in replacing or adding to that. What they do need to be aggressive in adding to is is the center halves and yeah. the central midfield are the two areas that they most desperately need. And there are some rumors about them. Um, we'll maybe talk about those a little bit later this week if we do another show. Uh, well, we are going to do another show. We'll talk about that at the end. But super draft, super show. So we'll probably talk a bit about that. Um, Jay Chapman is likely going to sign a homegrown deal for there. So maybe, I don't know if you, a kid's going to jump in and solve those central midfield issues, but he was the Big Ten midfielder of the year. Uh, at any rate, uh, Kevin, that's, uh, I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to add about Altidore or Defoe before we move on? No. The only thing I can say to wrap it up is one is definitely leaving, and the other one, I don't think Toronto is his landing spot. I think he would like to play in a big U.S. city. So we'll see what happens but i would not even be surprised if he never shows up in mls in this year at least yeah and well and he's not willing to budge in that transfer and sunderland's not that desperate as we said so uh you know this might fly this might be gone by the time we talk again and we'll take a quick break we'll come back we're going to set it up with the kyle lauren interview talk about the u20s uh, canadian national team whether the nasl is getting enough love and uh all sorts of good canada talk right after this uh, this little break 
Thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Sucker Podcast with Kevin Laramie and Dwayne Rollins. You can reach the guys on Twitter at 24th Minute and at Kevin Laramie. Or both of them at Two Solitudes Pod. Reach the guys on email. TwoSolitudesPodcast at gmail.com. But especially subscribe on Stitcher Radio. Now back to the show. All right, let's start with uh, what your goals are down there right now, both as a team and as a player. I mean, obviously your college season didn't go as well as you would have liked in terms of the team performance. So is this a chance for you to to sort of move past that and to, to, to focus on something uh, something team-oriented again? Um, I mean, I just want to come to this tournament and hopefully do my best and help my team out. And it's a, we have a really good team. I think we'll do well in this tournament and hopefully qualify. Uh, in terms of your role, do you do you expect to to, to you know you have uh, Jordan out there as well? You you're both kind of uh, yeah. you know up and coming guys that uh, yeah. play similar roles. Though you're a little wider normally, I believe. Um, do you, have you had a talk about what your tactically what your role is going to be out there? Uh, I mean, my role is always to score, and I mean, whenever I go on or if I start, if I don't, whenever I go on, I'll be I'll just be trying to score the as many goals as I can, and that's what me and Jordan Rose are, and hopefully it happens that we score as many goals as we can. Have you played with him before? Do you anticipate you'll be on the pitch at the same time? Uh, I don't really know. depends who we play. depends what kind of game it is, if it's hot outside or if it's not. Um, it's going to be hard in the seat to last the whole game, so I don't, I'm, I'm not sure. Having had a little experience, as a couple other guys have, up with the senior team with uh, with Benito, um, the Columbia game that must have been a, a highlight for you personally to get out there and get some action against guys yeah. of that nature. Is that something you you look to as to, to be a leader to share to some of the younger guys, some of the same age as you, but some of the guys that don't have the same level of experience? Yeah, I mean uh, the Columbia game was really nice. Uh, just stepping out the first time, stepping out onto the field, walking out the tunnel was it was like a dream, and and uh, that's what I. And I always wanted to play in that environment. And when I play in that environment, I get excited and I just play better. And I mean, sharing it with the younger guys, I think it will help them and just boost their confidence and see what the uh, it's, it's, uh, see what the um, what playing with the men's team is like. So. When you did step out in the pitch, you created, you know, yeah. it was all due respect yeah. to the to the talent level of the, that you were playing against. You created one of the few chances yeah. Canada had that night. Uh, when you get out there, did you just sort of put it behind you and just concentrate on the fact that it's, you know, a round ball and you were doing the same thing you've done your whole life? Uh, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't nervous when I went for it. I was excited, and I guess I just, I guess I just started to do what I do and just play naturally and. Um, I almost had a chance there, and I, I guess I I rushed my shot, and if I didn't rush it, I would have. I think I would have scored, and it was just nice playing, being on the field at that time and playing against that quality of players. Turning to to next year real quick, uh, having that generation Adidas out of the way now, was that a big relief for you to to finally get that settled? Yeah, it was um, just signing, and I was very happy that I signed. I'm going to play somewhere this season, and hopefully. Next season, I'll do well wherever I play and have a good season and and play with those players on those teams and have a have a good season. Uh, I know you, you're going to say that you're going to go wherever they, they draft you, but uh, are, are yeah. you hoping to, to go top three? Are you you're looking at that as, uh, as something you'd like to see? Um, I hope to go one, 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 to one of the new teams. Okay. There's uh, two expansive teams, and I think it'll be a good environment for me, a good place for me to be with those players and the coaches. So, Either get to play with Kaka or, or perhaps yeah, get some yeah. chances to go to Manchester and things like that. Is, is, yeah. that, exciting? is that exciting for you? Yeah, I mean, I watched those play Kaka and Vida when I was younger. So, And just watching and just playing with them would be a dream for me. So, Yeah. Uh, in terms yeah. of uh, if you had a chance, you do this, this group you're with right now to go back to the U20s, uh, had a very successful trip in the fall. You were still uh, back in Connecticut, uh, you know, finishing up there. Um, do you feel like you're coming in as an outsider in this, or do you have a good uh, good relationship with these guys already? I mean, I have a, a better relationship than I did before with them now. Um, before, there was a lot of confusion, and I think now I have a better relationship, and, and I trust them. So it's, And hopefully, 
depends. Um, hopefully when I play and I hopefully I'll score some goals for Canada and help bring the team far. You come, of course, from from Sigma. That that was a, a big part of your past. There, just talk about what they they did for your development and and uh, how you how they helped you uh, become the player you are. Yeah, I mean, I've been with Sigma since I was twelve, I think eleven actually, and it just it was a good environment there. It was training hard every day, hundred percent, and that translated into the game and just all my skills and my awareness of the game and. Everything they taught me going to Europe and just training down there in those environments, I think it really taught me a lot. And they really looked up after us on and off the field. So it's a really good place to be if you're a young player and develop. And yeah, no, I, I have some good dealings with them, and uh, I, I know that Bobby and the guys—they do a great job with the senior guys there. But you're saying right from the right from the get-go, it's a, a great environment even for the little guys. Yeah, it's really good for um, young kids just being there and and just. Hopefully they can after they're they're done after when that thing when they get older they can go to college or hopefully go to Europe from there because they Bobby and them really have good good uh, connections with other teams and I think it's good for young players to develop Canadian young players. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll one more quick and then we'll we'll wrap it up and let you get back with the guys. Uh, talk yeah. about the the couple years at Connecticut. Um, what that did for your development. I know it's disappointing on a team level, especially two years ago, to, to not get the national title, but uh, how important was it yeah. to, to have those two years of the NCAA in your, under your belt? Um, I think the first year when it went in, uh, I didn't know what to expect. And when at my first game, I was really physical. And I, I think it took me uh, quite a while to adjust to the physicality, but once I adjusted to it, that's when I started scoring and feeling my rhythm. And, and I think just being then and then the discipline and the work it takes is to handle my time management, just handle school, uh, playing, and all that. I think Coach Rizzo really taught me how to how to handle all that. So I think it was a good time being there, and for two seasons, and just just uh, developing there and just paved my way to play at the next level. Just playing. Yeah, you, you guys gonna go to New Zealand? Uh, hopefully, I think I think we are. I think we have a team to do it. Just uh, just working together and playing as a team, and I think we'll do well. All right, great, Kyle. Thanks for taking some time. Okay, no problem. Cheers. And we're back, Kevin. Canada is going to play Iceland in the long-awaited rematch of the Iceland friendly. Thus, dying one of the great Voyager memes of all time that we're uh, we're owed a friendly from Iceland. It was supposed to be a home friendly. I guess Florida can be home for now. <laughs> well, I'll. Gladly take Florida now because the home field advantage against Iceland is probably playing in uh, hot conditions. Yeah, yeah well, I, that we're very we're very warm country here, as we just <laughs> talked off the top too. Um, let's let's have a look at uh, at this lineup real quick here. First, uh, I just want to thank Kyle Lauren for taking the time talking to us again uh, last week. It was uh, great to have him on the show, and uh, hopefully, we'll uh, see him go out number one next week. Well, this week. I, and I think from reading between the lines, uh, talking to Kyle, and it's the second time I've had an opportunity to talk to him in the last little while, and I've talked to people uh, close to him before, that uh, they have known for a while that uh, both Orlando and New York have interest in him. So, uh, and, and I also, the other part of this, and, and I can include conversations I've had with people close to TFC on this front, this idea that TFC is going to make a massive play for him to bring him, quote unquote, home, I put it. Put it outside of your mind, Toronto fans. I think that is highly unlikely. As one person close to the the club said to me, uh, "Why would we try and force a, a square peg into the round hole?" He might want to play somewhere else too. He was really sounded excited to play either in New York or uh, Orlando. So I have a feeling there's a very good chance that one of those teams will pick him up. Exactly. He's not going to be there in third position for Montreal. Get out this out of your mind. Even though he's one of my dreams as a Canadian fan to have him in Montreal and play him in FC Montreal next year, that's not going to happen. Yeah, well, he's... I, I think he... Yeah, Lauren, I guess we might as well. We're going to talk about the Canada roster, but let's finish first. 
Um, I, I don't think he'll be in FC Montreal. I think he'd be for, for IMFC, not <laughs> FCM. Uh, he, he, he would be – he's signed a Generation Adidas contract. He's going to be playing in MLS. I think he's going to be a starter for Orlando. I know a lot of people sort of wonder that, but I think he absolutely will be, uh, which is why he's probably a little bit of a better fit from a Canadian national team perspective in Orlando than he is in New York. And I think for the record, he is going to go to Orlando. Uh, everything I have heard suggests that uh, – and just again, just the way he answered that question – um, sort of suggested to me that he he knows that he's going to Orlando. So, uh, uh, you know, pick up your purple if you're a neutral um, uh, Canadian MLS fan, and I don't know who the hell those people are, but <laughs> if you are, uh, <laughs> there are some that like all three teams, I suppose. But you might have to add a fourth team because uh, I think he's going to be a real star in this league. Um, but Orlando's a new team. A lot of people like new teams, so they're going to have a lot of fans next year for Orlando, and they have Kaka, and they're purple. It's different. People are going to like them. Yeah, I think the hipsters are going to all go to the purple. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a big hipster following Orlando City Soccer Club because they have to be even different with just, that. Just because of that. Just because yeah. of that SC. They already have that following. Yep. All right. Uh, Kyle, we were, as we said before, we are going to attempt, and we might as well play it here. Uh, we're going to attempt to do a live show during the draft. Uh, we're just testing it out, whether that might be something that we can do moving forward. Uh, we might tie that into asking you for uh, some support for that if we do that, folks. But uh, alas, we are going to do a test event for that. But uh, let's move on and uh, talk about this very odd Canadian roster that was called up, Kevin. Yeah, for uh, the upcoming friendlies, yeah. Um, I'm going to just do a quick count here. I'm looking at the roster as we as we speak. we I'm going to name some players here. Well, the hyphenated uh, brothers are there. So. Yeah, yeah, we got the hyphenated brothers. We've got uh, two two of the three keepers are essentially playing for. Uh, well, Quinlan Roberts is with TFC as their third keeper. Uh, we have Sean Melvin, who's not even the the Whitecaps FC residency best keeper. He's he's a residency guy. We've got Nana Adakor on the defensive side as an unattached, unattached FC, well represented once again. Uh, we've got uh, Kelvin Black, uh, who is a TFC Academy guy. Uh, Johnny Grant is a guy I interviewed for League One this year. Uh, so basically, there's a League One call-up. They're listing him as Sigma wow. FC, which is basically his League One. Uh, he's a big, tough fullback. I actually like Johnny Grant quite a bit. He's a, I, I think he has a real potential. Tall, lanky, fast, athletic kid that if he can get some good coaching, I think he has a real good chance to, uh, to have a pro career. So I'm, I'm happy to see Johnny Grant get a look, but uh, it's a little disturbing to me that our national team is where he's getting a look. Um, we have uh, Ashton Morgan, who's barely played last year. Uh, we've got uh, d- d- another Adam Straith, who's a uh, part of that unattached FC uh, thing. Uh, he is back in the country. I think I'm feeling Adam's going to sign with one of the one of the local teams here, maybe even the local team where I am. Um, where else do we have? We have uh, another guy. Uh, we got Julian, unattached oh. FC. We got Patrice. Patrice is there, and he's actually attached. He's with Montreal, still captain. Yep. Yeah, is a uh, is on the team. He's with the impact. So uh, of course, um, we've got uh, uh, Dwayne Di Rosario, who's uh, on old man unattached FC. Uh, Ian He's Hume. still unattached, right? Did you hear anything about him signing somewhere or having at least a look somewhere? The last we've heard about Dero is that he is in talks with TFC to uh, come to some kind of agreement. But they're stressing that it might be an agreement that's more about ambassadorships uh, or coaching positions or the something. Reggie Dunlop like. of the Toronto. Yeah, eh, that'd be interesting. Maybe player <laughs> coach, coach player, player coach. Well, that's the holdup. Is Dero wants to be part of the of the Gold Cup? That's why he stayed oh. in the national team. And and look, I know there Dero is is divisive, and there are people that don't like him. But I, for one. Um, have never hidden the fact that uh, Dwayne DiRosario is is you know one of those guys that I think that uh, has really added something to the Canadian program over the years. And even though he's been a guy that hasn't been perfect all the time, um, he I think would be nice for him to get a send off as as a Gold Cup player. I I, I am one of the few that I think likes that one. Um, but one of the, you know, moving past Euro for a second, Ian Hume's back on this team, and I'm really happy to see that uh, off of his MVP performance. MVP in, in, of the Indian Super League. That's yeah. not too shabby. Hey. The dishwasher at my hotel is Indian. We never talked football or soccer any time before. And he told me, hey, there's a Canadian kid that's really good in India. I'm like, yes, I know. Ian Hume, he's a legend. <laughs> yep. And uh, and Kyle Porter is uh, unattached FC. So <laughs> Unattached FC, fairly well represented once again. 
And the, the thing about Kyle Porter, and this this brings up a nice segue here, is is he's unattached right now, but he, uh, you know, before he played for DC United, uh, most recently, of course, uh, came from FC Edmonton. And who's not on this team are any of the Canadians playing in the NASL. And that does beg the question of if we're bringing all of these unattached guys on here with a few academy guys on here, yep. why the hell wouldn't we want, like at least have a look at some of these NASL guys? And what does that mean in terms of uh, how we're scouting players, how we're looking for talent identification? Is it a case that the NASL is just that much further behind? Oh. I don't know. I'll throw a question to you. Is it a case of maybe a deliberate overlooking of players that play in the NSL? I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocate, just putting the question out there. Is Benito Flor just overlooking the NSL as a whole, maybe for other reasons than on the playing field? I don't know. I'm just asking the question. Yeah, it, it, well, it's questions that need to be asked, and I think maybe I might reach out to someone in the, the next few days, and we, we might, after these friendlies, or, or just before, if we have the second show this week, uh, maybe bring a guest on to talk a bit about this, because it is a strange omission when you look at the rest of the lineup. This would be, in the States, they have, uh, you know, we've seen... Uh, Ibarra? Yeah, they, they call it Cupcake Camp, the Cupcake <laughs> Camp, where they, they basically, they throw every egg at the wall and see what sticks, and... So with Teshu who's going there as part of the Cupcake Camp in the uh, States. So so in, in some ways, this is our Cupcake Camp too, even though our Cupcake is more like uh, it's like baking soda camp. Yeah, but for sense. us, it's the whole cake. It's not even the Cupcake. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, I don't know. Our team's a little better than this, but at any rate. <laughs> yes, we um, have to change the mindset. We are better. We are better. We are yeah. better. <laughs> We're better than Sean Melvin. No offense, Sean. Um, yeah, I, I think that bringing up four or five of these guys, like the Auto Fury, the FCM, and some of the Canadian guys, just bring them into a camp because they're guys for a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways that have fallen through the, the cracks over the years and just have a look and see what they can do because right now, this this is a, this, this could not, this might not be pretty against Iceland. Let's just say that. Uh, this is a very, very green group. It's one of the, the greenest groups that he's brought up in some time. In turn, uh, well, it's green and unattached is what this is. It's a good thing we're not facing Greenland. Yeah, Greenland is icy. Iceland is nice. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Mighty Ducks references for us there. Um, okay. I'm happy to see Ian Hume in the lineup. That that was what I used chose to highlight when I, I wrote uh, my brief article on the lineup. Uh, it, it, it's nice to see him back. He's a guy that's always giving it all for Canada. So uh, good for Hume, and I hope he gets a start and gets a look moving forward. World Cup qualifying starts in June. Uh, that was uh, made official this week, uh, so not long to get this together. Just before the Gold Cup, uh, got to go through. Having looked at that groups real quickly, we can touch on that. It's a lot of guy teams that Canada should be able to handle that they're going to be drawn in there. El Salvador is the one tricky opponent that everyone's going to want to avoid. Um, I don't know how the seeding is going to work for that. In the next round, they're bringing Haiti and Jamaica into the mix. Um, if it's a wide open uh, seating and they advance through that, then it's going to be El Salvador and Jamaica you want to avoid. I think they could handle Haiti. But, um, you know, they've got to win those two home and home ties to get to the, to the semifinal stage. Uh, that would be the bare necessity for Canada's qualifying campaign this year. It would be an absolute unqualified disaster if they don't get to the semifinal stage. So let's uh, keep our fingers crossed that we avoid any, any pitfalls. Then again, you know, I, if you can't beat El Salvador, Kevin. You don't deserve to be there, yeah. Yeah, anyway. U-20s. U-20s, something a little more positive. They're one and one right now. They had oh, a... Mexico. It's Mexico. And 2 nothing against Mexico, they they were really nervous, the, the team, in the beginning of the game. And when Mexico scored, it seems like it calmed Canada down, and they just conceded once more. 2 nothing against Mexico is not too shabby. No, this is a Mexico team that uh, someone sent me a message the other day, and I don't have it in front of me now. But they've won the U seventeen World Cup twice. They've won the the Olympics. They they've been the finals of the U twenty. Like the Mexico U system is not just Concacaf good; they're world good. We're talking about that. That's the vision of what if Canada qualifies for New Zealand, what they're going to be dealing with with the top countries over there. Mm-hmm. So I think it bodes well, and you, you factor in the fact that they they completely killed Cuba 9-1 the Mexicans did the, in yeah. the game before so uh, you know Canada should be able to handle Cuba you would think and they already have the win under their belt against the Haitians so it's really going to come down that they need to get one win out of the two uh, if they get one of the one win out of the two against Honduras and uh, Guatemala uh, that they would they would then get in the top three you would think it'd almost be guaranteed you'd hope they can win both so that they could be seated as high as they can uh, in that crossover uh, 
Uh, for those that don't know, they're really struggling on the other side of this group. They only have one point out of two games. Uh, so there is a good chance that uh, that if things sort of wake out the way they're supposed to, that the U.S. could end up playing Canada in a, a do-or-die game to qualify for the World Cup, which would certainly be an interesting test. Uh, it, it has some people on this side of the border uh, concerned about. Uh, yeah, but, but that's where rivalry starts. That's where you can actually get an actual rivalry between Canada and U.S., even if it starts at the U-20 level. Those players in four and three years at the Olympics, and in four years, who knows, they might be with the real program. And if Canada eliminates the U.S., well, they'll have a resentment the U.S. forever. And it, it, it could be the start of a nice rivalry. A beautiful hatred. Yes, exactly. A beautiful hatred. No. Uh, we'll watch that closely. The U.S. Uh, will play today. So, uh, we'll, you know, if you're interested in this tournament, that might be a stream to go find there. Um, that's a real brief talking point there. Uh, we have to find streams to watch this damn tournament because for some reason Sportsnet's decided that darts are more worthwhile than than showcasing Canadian talent. But uh, And the, a- the illegal streams in quotes are more reliable than CONCACAF streaming on their website, so. Yeah, well, I haven't actually been able to get anything off the CONCACAF site. It's sort of just disappeared for the most part. Um, They're the one that announced it on Twitter, and oh, all those tweets have disappeared. Yeah. Weird. It's, it's fun. We'll uh, continue to watch this tournament, and as I said, when we do our other podcast this week, we'll certainly have more to say on this. Uh, I enjoy watching these 20 kids. I think they are the most talented team. I think that that, that means that they're CONCACAF talented now. Uh, they're, they're a team that should qualify out of CONCACAF. However, in terms of... Uh, they rank in terms of world powers yet? Uh, God, no. Um, we need a lot more experience, a lot more professional, consistent experience uh, to do before we do that. I mean, the kid that scored against Mexico or scored for Mexico against us has already had like twenty appearances for Panchuca this year, right? Like, I mean, you're talking about uh, guys. That's another level. It's another level altogether, as opposed to the TFC Academy, as as great as they were in League One this year. Um, all right, Kevin, uh, let's take a quick break. Again, and we'll come back and we'll just have a little uh, tiny talk on the women uh, who have uh, won a trophy. And uh, then we'll uh, we'll set up our draft coverage and uh, call it a day. You are listening to the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast, the 2014 MLS Talk Awards Best Podcast Winner. Thanks for everyone who voted for us. Thanks to all the listeners. Anybody who voted, we thank you very much. We could not have done it without you. And now, back to the show. And we're back. Kevin, the Canadian women's national team are the Chinese tournament that I can't pronounce very well, Four Nations champion. Wow. They were the best of Four Nations, and I guess China was one of those? Yep. Well, they haven't played China yet, so let's not get too excited. That's oh. the one team that they got to play in the World Cup, uh, and I probably will stay up to watch that one because that is a preview of their uh, Group A opener on June 6th, the World Cup opener. Uh, that game is going to happen overnight. There were some streams for the first uh, couple games. Uh, to review, Canada beat uh, the South Koreas, which are the worst of the two Koreans. North yep. Korea, of course, is suspended from this World Cup cycle at this point. Uh, they beat them 2-1, and then they beat CONCACAF rivals uh, Mexico 2-1 in the second game. Uh, because of other results, they have already clinched the tournament to do end with China. So I would say that it would be a very um, false victory if they were to win this trophy, but yet lose to the Chinese team that they're actually playing in the World Cup. Uh, however, I suspect that they probably will be able to get a result there. As we said when we talked about Canada's draw in, this, in, in the World Cup, it is a very easy touch in a lot of ways because they're playing teams that they should be able to beat in China. Certainly the last time I saw China play uh, were a step behind the Canadians. Um, Kevin, a couple talking points on this. First, it doesn't matter that they won this tournament. It, it really doesn't. It's their four exhibition games, which are great that they're playing, but let's not get carried away by trophies in this particular case. And, and the second one we were talking off air about this is that uh, in these two games so far, Christine Sinclair, the veteran Christine Sinclair, who has struggled to score in the last couple of years, she did get a goal in this tournament so far. She's one of Canada's four goal scorers. Uh, she's played 180 minutes. <laughs> Should Christine Sinclair be playing 180 minutes in useless friendlies against uh, South Korea and Mexico? Well, if you want your other players to step up when the time is right or to get that playing time, that experience that can be useful in a meaningful game, well, no, you don't play Sinclair 180 minutes into a game. You don't let her on the pitch all the time. If you want to put Sinclair 
still the, the leader as a team and put the whole team on her back. And if St. Clair does well, they'll do well at the World Cup. That's what you do. If you're already bracing yourselves and putting all your eggs in the St. Clair basket, it might not look good this summer. Yeah. Look, I have been calling for them to give a little bit of more rotation to Sinclair for about a year and a half now, um, basically in preparation for this World Cup. And I appreciate that we're getting very close to the actual tournament now and that they they want to get continuity with the lineups and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, this tournament to me would have been a perfect, an absolute perfect opportunity to look at it objectively. You don't want to give up too much when you're playing China anyway. You don't want to give too much of your strategy away. John Herdman may in fact do kind of a weird strategy that day, that weird tactics that day that he won't use in the, in the World Cup anyway. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, why don't you bring a B-side over? Why don't you have a look at what else is out there to see what else you can create with that younger lineup uh, that is available to you? Um, you know, not only for building for the future reasons, which are important, but also for making sure Christine Sinclair doesn't get hurt reasons. Yeah. Um, in, in this tournament, in the 11th minute last night, Sophie Schmidt was taken yes. off the pitch, which caused the entire Canadian women's uh, Twitterverse to, to lose its collective mind. Um, I reached out to CSA this morning and, and got an update. Uh, basically, they, I was told that it was precautionary. Uh, they're going to do some more tests uh, tomorrow morning, so middle of the night over there right now. Uh, but they don't expect it to be anything to worry about. But still, it does illustrate that point. Why are you risking these veterans that you know are going to be key in a tournament that just doesn't really matter? Well, they want to hype the tournament by saying, look, Canada's been great. They won this many trophies in the last six, seven months, and they're ready for the tournament. Uh, I don't think it's the right way to go. Yeah, I, I would have shut Sinclair down for a couple months and then got really intense in the in the in the um, preparation starting in the spring. Yeah. Um, as I reported on CSN about a year ago, that they're going to go into residency uh, very soon. Here, they're not going to go back to their club teams uh, prior to the World Cup. It looks like the U.S. is going to repeat that as well. So the uh, the women's league is going to be a bit of a shell for the start of the year. But well, at any will rate, they be a women's league? That's the question. They might as well shelf it for the until it's over. Um, so yeah, I, I would give them a break. I would look at some of those younger guys out there. Um, it, you know, in fairness, they, they have some younger players on this this team. Kadisha Buchanan is a, is a guy there. A guy, it's a woman that's become a regular uh, yeah. young young player there. Uh, Janine Becky, Becky. Uh, she scored a goal in this tournament as well. Uh, Adrian Leon was the other goal scorer. I mentioned Christine Sinclair a minute ago. Um, so they they are doing a bit of that, and John Herdman has done a bit about reaching out and trying to find younger players. I just always think that with this national team, and this goes, it's not just a Canadian issue. The, if you look at some of the U.S. women's national team following out there, there are people, very uh, respected outside voices, if that makes sense, that are screaming from the rooftops that they need to to recycle that program at the top. They you know, are heavy on the 30-plus women that are involved in that. Uh, Abby Wambach is a player that looks like a shell of herself right now. The the yep. U.S. are are really struggling in a lot of ways. For I'm struggling, telling you, struggling Dwayne, that, that court and turf uh, fiasco is going to hurt them. That Their energy were not focused in the right place. I know it sounds cliche, but it's true. Yeah, there's a bit of a, If you listen to our five rings, we'll have a bit of a turf update today. There was some... Uh, uh, another movement in there that we'll we'll update you on that and in, in a very quick nutshell abby uh, abby asked uh, fifa to consider sort of a a lesser down um you know a little bit of grass in the semifinals and finals but fifa essentially said a uh, null and uh, which we've been telling you they're going to do for years at any rate so it, it, she seemed like she's ready to move on now and realizes that it's a lost cause but uh at any rate yeah no we've been talking about that distraction but it, it's more than that though like they just don't the u.s if the u.s ever fully uh, looked at its whole system and incorporated it whole, its whole system and played up to its expectation and abilities, it would kill the world every World Cup. They, they, the fact that they haven't won the Women's World Cup more often than they have is an absolute disgrace in the U.S. in a lot of ways, and it I speaks to the, to the cliqueiness of that program, which is one of the most insular worlds that you will ever encounter, the U.S. Women's uh, National Team program. However, I digress. We're we should focus on Canada here again. Um, you know, there's some insularness to the Canadian program at times too. I think they've done a little bit better under John Herdman. But as I said a minute ago, um, the uh, women's four nation cup uh, aside, 
I think that they need to do a little bit more and they kind of probably should have shut down some of their veteran players who are mostly getting towards 30 or on the wrong side of 30 now anyway. Uh, We're for still couple- six months until the right, the meaningful games of that tournament. So you need to, like you say, shut them down and restart to train them so they peak at the right time. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I like I said, I'm going to go out of my way to watch the. I'm going to I'm going to give up some sleep to watch the Canada China game. Um, if you're a women's fan, I recommend you do the same. It, it's going to be a, a very a rare opportunity to see two group group stage members play each other in the lead up of a World Cup. Usually they avoid each other. Uh, you know, men's and women's sides. This is going to be an exception to that, so that will be worthwhile. Uh, staying up till three or four in the morning one night, or getting up at three or four in the morning, depending on your perspective here in the East. Uh, to watch that game, and I'll update you when we talk later. Um, let's end the show, Kevin, real quickly with a little bit of draft talk. Uh, when I say a little bit, I mean a very little bit because we're <laughs> going to talk a little bit more. Um, we are working on a live show uh, that we're going to t- test tomorrow. Uh, I don't think we're going to tell anyone that we're testing it. We're just going <laughs> to test it between ourselves tomorrow. Yeah, and, but you uh, can always take a look at the YouTube page of Two Solitudes. Yes, we have a YouTube page now, so Two Solitudes uh, on YouTube. And you'll find the page and we'll try to have you a show on Thursday live on YouTube. And who knows, we might have another place as well. You can listen to it. So maybe a couple of different places, Google Plus and YouTube. So you can listen wherever you are to that live show because it's boring to watch the draft. So you can listen to us banter while you watch the draft. Yeah, that's the idea. We will watch the draft and we will talk about it live as we go. Um Soccer Morning in the States has done similar things in the past. We're trying to emulate them. We just copy uh, Jason all the time. That's what we do, right, Kevin? Yeah, why not? He's doing great. Well, if we can do half what he does, we'll be fine. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're ever going to have Soccer Morning in Canada. I, Are you I don't crazy? Think- <laughs> Are you crazy in your head? Unless unless someone wants to give us a lot of money, then we'll then we'll be happy to do that. But uh, we we might be able to to maybe move towards doing something. Do you live. know what I look like at ten a.m. in the morning? You really want to do a video show? No, I don't think. No, no, no. It, it no, would no. be. I, I those that don't know, uh, I am more of the morning person <laughs> in, in this uh, in this podcasting relationship here. I, and I Kevin, go to bed when he wakes up, so that yeah. tells you all you need to know. <laughs> I will send Kevin about sixteen text messages at six in the morning, seven in the morning, and he'll eventually get them. So I don't know if soccer morning would ever play here in. Uh, in us, but maybe soccer soccer, in- soccer overnight. I would I'll do that show every yeah. night. No worries. Soccer soccer two a.m. <laughs> it's all we're all set for that. All right. In the meantime, uh, Kevin, why don't you say goodbye and uh, we'll we'll update you via the Twitterverse uh, what we're doing later on this week. Five Rings podcast this afternoon. Check it out. We'll have a little bit of turf update and some talk about the Ballon d'Or. Yep. Yep. <laughs>